0: in New York, 2.30 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 7.30 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Schneider Bean from SundayBean.com, and I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations. And I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. The research that focuses on women as expatriates gives us this stark message that women are underrepresented. The women who are on assignment abroad account for only 25% according to a survey by Brookfield. And you can see from other research from Shortland and Tongue that there is something going on worth looking at. Interchange Institute emphasizes that women are as likely to express interest in assignment abroad, yet their research shows that only 16% of international expatriates are women. As my mother would say, that ain't rat. (laughs) (laughs) What is going on here, Kathy? I've got a global mobility expert with me today, and she understands this discrepancy that I'm talking about when we look at women on assignment. Kathy, welcome back to Expat Happy Hour. Thank you, Sunday. So Kathy Hine is a global mobility expert and managing director of Living Abroad, and she has been around doing this work for decades. You might recognize her for an episode 120 when we talked about insider secrets, what global mobility professionals wish that assignees knew and what assignees wish that global mobility understood to best collaborate together so she's generously agreed to come on back to episode 121 where we're going to look at what's going on with female international expatriate assignments so thanks again for being here kathy well thank you sunday i'm happy to be here again So I'm all riled up about this. You and I talked about it before. (laughs) I've been digging in the research. And here's the thing. This is what gets me wild. There's a recent article that came out from European Research on Management and Business Economics. And Maria Bastida has an article called, Yes, They Can Do It, Exploring Female Expatriates' Effectiveness. The research concludes after the review that there is no difference between male and female expatriate effectiveness. Yet, what, anywhere from 16 to 25% as an estimate of females are abroad. The, the interest is there and the effectiveness is there. But what is going on, Kathy? What do you think? What From your instinct and your experience, what do you think is going on here?
1: Yeah, it really is interesting because... Um, the more I'm out in the industry, I hear that women really want to go on assignments. So what really is happening internally at these companies? So I think part of the um, issue is that um, kind of the different balances that you have in companies and management level might not be as diverse um, as it could be. So what you see is, and it's just human nature, that like uh, attracts like. So it has to be a really aware uh, manager to look at the possibilities and really choose a candidate that is best for the job. Now, sometimes they think that women are not interested in an international assignment for various reasons. Um, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it's their own um, mindset about where women uh, should be. Maybe it's they know that this person just had a baby or has a family at home, that the spouse has a very good job. They're making all this up, you know, in their minds, in their heads without really having a discussion with a potential candidate.
0: This is such an important topic. You're talking about the assumptions that they hold. And I think there's two things going on here. One is the assumption um, based on what what that person in their heart probably would call common sense, yes, right, exactly. But not according to the other person, unless it's established together. The other thing I think is really frightening, Kathy. I had happened to me um, when I was in a leadership position. I had my I was pregnant with my second child, and I had a conversation with a leader in the organization about how the the actual point of the conversation mm-hmm. was how I'm going to. Um, fast track training in my VP, so to speak, because I would be gone for maternity. And that's so important that I have someone to do the work while I'm gone because I'm taking on you know, more leadership and it's really time to make that happen. So my conversation was about up-leveling my leadership and fast tracking who I'm training in and how many people in, in, in essentially. And what was interesting is the person subconsciously The person said to me something about me working forty percent, like reducing how much I worked. So the actual words in the conversation were about me increasing my leadership, but there was something going on from like an unconscious bias perspective Mm -hmm. that caused the person to think they heard (laughs) that it was. It's just crazy, and so this is so. So frightening because we've got things are going on. Our, our unconscious bias is present in everybody, exactly. Right, no one is, you know, uh, uh, exempt from it. And if we're not explicit about our intentions and our wishes, then we leave it up to the unconscious bias and assumptions, untested assumptions of other people. It's pretty. It's pretty terrifying, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So the, the research that I was looking at just recently from Ann Copland and Seska Mechman that you can find on the FIGT website, Families in Global Transition, they talk about, there are a lot of areas, but two of them that you just mentioned was one, different treatment. And then later I want us to talk about different roles, but different treatment, what you're saying is they are overlooked because the person in charge assumes there isn't an interest.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Right. Or they're overlooked because they assume they won't be successful, maybe because they understand the cultural complexity or the security challenges there. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's let's brainstorm. What can global mobility do or H.R. professionals do to um, alleviate this differential treatment? And then what can the assignee do? Sure. So So, what's popping up for you?
1: Yeah. So I can give you a real life example of a company I heard speak at a conference. Uh, It's PepsiCo. Now, PepsiCo Mm -hmm. is a great example on uh, balancing the number of female assignees with male assignees. In fact, I think they're either 50-50 or if not more female assignees which is great. And they, they need to be applauded on that. Part of the thing that they did um, is they made a concerted effort, but, and I don't know if this is good or bad. A lot of the destinations where the female assignees were going are places that they would be more welcome to get their job done. Um, they didn't send them to really any hardship locations. I don't know if Pepsi is, Mm -hmm. I'm sure they're all over the world and they're in all locations. So that in that way, they set them up for success. Now, I don't know if that's good or bad, but what I do know is good is that the percentages are almost equal, if not more than male assignees.
0: Well, here's what I'm thinking about. First of all, I love that Pepsi is smart enough to realize that if these women are not getting global experience now, they're going to have a hard time finding female leaders at the top later. So they're really looking at their pipeline for balanced leadership. I think that's fantastic. When I hear that, i I do get it. They would like to send people to context because let's admit it, being a female, in this global society where violence against women is higher you know hierarchy orientation might dictate discrimination against women in some areas more than others pepsi's saying let's let's set up the best context for success and what as interculturalists what i would recommend is then once those women get some stripes abroad and working internationally they are then best suited to go to the harder locations, right?
1: Absolutely. Where
0: they've built up some negotiation skills in some dynamics that might be complex. And then they're actually up leveling the ability to serve the entire planet um, instead of just those other locations, right? So that's great. Kudos to Pepsi on that one.
1: Now you did ask me about what things HR can do, and one of the things yeah. is to really review their company policy. It has their company policy evolved that it would better address some issues of
0: female expats. The other okay thing- like what like what like what should what should people be looking for? I think they really have they have to really
1: pay attention to the family portion of it. What do they have to support the family? Um, Because you and I were talking a little bit about um, an accompanying spouse, male spouse, um, that, and you had mentioned that you find that companies are giving them a larger allowance for the accompanying spouse um, versus if it was a female accompanying spouse. But I think the issues are to, they need to make sure the policy include certain things like maybe it's an, if they're taking care of a parent that they need to Mm -hmm. include uh, an extra trip back home so they can check on the Mm -hmm. parent. Oftentimes that care of the parent falls to the female member of the family. Um, Other things like what about your children, how are they going to be supported? And even though with the male assignee, they are supported in that same way. Um, What other things that they can add to the policy to make it more um, that they could take whatever those issues are off of your um, what you're worrying about off of you so you can focus on the business at hand?
0: Right. I mean, it also goes along with um, how they update their policies. Are they looking at. Um, sort of like a heterosexual version of a married couple, or are they counting same-sex partners? What qualifies an accompanying partner? I've seen some really progressive changes in several corporations lately to say, you bring your partner. And they, they're they very open in general in terms of how you define your partner to sort of reflect what's really going on um, in society. So that's nice to see some of those changes. One of the things I think is interesting is, um, you know, when we look at some of the research from Women Don't Ask, uh, that Harvard-based book, the author is escaping me right now, but she talks about how women are afraid to ask um, for more salary or what are the policies to sort of empower people to understand what is standard in the industry, what policies are going to support the family best, and then check out if those policies are in alignment when you're shopping around for assignments. Exactly, I think. Um, what about? Oh, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to ask, what about the um? What about what else can HR do to really reduce the stress on the assignee or help them be accepted in a local culture that might not um, be as uh, equality based when it comes to gender? Well, I think that one of the
1: things they can do is introduce this um, new assignee, female assignee to the host country as the expert. They are the expert. That's why they're being sent there, regardless of gender, so that when they get there, they are seen as the expert. They're not seen as female or male. They're seen as the expert in, in that particular, whatever they're sent there, whatever job they're sent there to do. That's really a big one. Also, uh, I think they need to provide diversity and cultural training not only for the assignee and the family and spouse, but also for the colleagues in that host location, because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stereotypes and there's a lot of generalizations. So help them vet through what those are to. Um, welcome that person as best they can to do the best job that they can. And absolutely. I think communication, I mean, that's in every area of our lives. Communicate, and we hear that all the time. And a lot of times we live in our heads. So I think, you know, on the other hand, you know, also the female signing needs to ask. I think you brought, just brought that up. But ask for what they need. Um, mm-hmm. And that,
0: and, and it's okay to ask for that. Absolutely.
1: Right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Look, men ask, I don't know what the percentage is, how many more times than women mm-hmm. and they, what, do, what are they going to say? They're going, they could say yes, or they could say no, mm-hmm. but many times the way men um, ask or negotiate for raises, they usually get them. Women mm-hmm. have, you know, think about, well, do I deserve this? am I worth this? We have all those things that, you know, maybe good, good girls don't ask. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is, but, um, the percentages are staggering. on how many more times a man asks for something than a woman in a job.
0: Right. And what we know from that, the book that I mentioned, women don't ask it's, it equates to a quarter of a million dollars by the end of your lifetime. Exactly. That's a lot. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so you mentioned that cross cultural training. I really agree on that that um you can arm your assignee with um intercultural competencies so that they can neutrally understand why they might get resistance from someone or how to work with the cultural differences and bridge that gap, right? So absolutely, your employee should be supported in that way. I would add that um, I, I would totally say the same thing. If you can, have your on-the-ground staff speak the same language, like understand the key cultural dimensions, understand where their gaps are, because that's, what's going to help people work together. And what I love about that is it's not personal. It's not like he's arrogant or she's, (laughs) you know, bossy or whatever. It's more like, oh, they're more direct or they really prefer equality. It gives you such a neutral way of looking at your teamwork. That it can create, um, it can really reduce conflict and misunderstanding. So I, I do, I would totally support the case of both sides should get a language, a a way to see culture in a way that's more nuanced than stereotypes or assumptions or um, attributing things to personality. The one thing I would add to that. Is that I think if you, I mean, some of the women that I know that are on assignment, I admire them so much. I mean, I know women who are off in the Congo, Burkina Faso, South Africa, Latin America from every continent and every shape, size and color. And they're out there changing the world. Right. And so what I would add is that they've got they're working on their leadership of their team. They're working on getting the work done. They're working on their intercultural competency. So if you're the female assignee listening right now, what are you doing to work on your resilience so you don't burn out, right? Are you on endurance mode where you're go, 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 or are you doing enough for yourself to stop and refuel so that you can continue to perform at top level um, long-term. That's the one thing I would add for you know, international assignees. This goes for who cares what your gender is. When you're managing that level of complexity, that it's definitely worth investing in um, resilience.
1: Absolutely. And I think there's other things that are good to do to keep you in check uh, for both men and women, as you mentioned. Um, joining expatriate groups. It's a good way to mm-hmm. unwind and really to vet Everybody's gonna have issues, whether you're at host or home country. That's a good opportunity to um, talk to other people. They may be experiencing some of the th- same things that you are. Maybe they've gone through it and they can offer suggestions. Perhaps you find a mentor in that new location that can kind of show you the ropes. They could say, hey, um, what did you, how did you do this? Or how should I do this? Or what are your suggestions? I think going it alone is very tough and very isolating. Mm -hmm. So I think if Mm -hmm. you can join a group of like-minded individuals, if you can find that, or maybe it's just connecting with maybe you had a mentor back in your home country, and maybe it's just having a quick Skype call, a check-in call. So I think having a support group is really important because you mentioned those women in all those remote locations. That is really tough.
0: Yeah. And you you just absolutely supported what I was saying about resilience, that resilience isn't something that you build on your own. It's done in community. It's done with support. Um, So that's really central. So if you feel isolated, I think that's really important. If you feel isolated, then ask yourself, what am I doing to connect with people that are in my community, that would be a shoulder to lean on someone to have a sparring partner or even to vent with, so that you can, um, so you don't feel alone. And I don't know how many times I hear people say to me all the time, when they realize that what they've been going through is normal, they always say, Oh, I thought, you know, I'm not alone. They just can't believe that they're not alone. I don't know why they don't realize that they're, that they're going through what so many others are going through.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, why, that's a good question. Why do you think that is? Do you think that that was not um, brought to their attention
0: before they went on assignment with, through HR or their manager? You, you want to know what I really think about that? This is what I really think. I think everybody's so, i was I'm trying to say this without swearing. <laughs> Everybody is, everybody's so happy at pick up and drop off. Everybody is so okay <laughs> at the water cooler. Like, how are you? I'm fine. Yeah. No, you're not fine. Like <laughs> yeah. I have been doing this for too long to know that the people that you think are fine and I'm doing air quotes in my fingers right now. hmm are not fine because this is hard, because this is complex and we all have ebbs and flows. And I see it all the time. I see it in my own life. I see it with my clients. The, this, this makes us up level the way we show up on so many uh, facets. So I don't believe everybody is fine, but nobody's talking about it. hmm Right. And it's okay to not be fine. It, you, It's okay to say this is going well and wow, this is hard. Right. But I don't see those honest conversations having happening in passing in the hallways or at the pickup and drop off. So that's my, my honest opinion. I hear that in coaching, right? I yes. get, yes, you know, course. people will dump that out in coaching. Yeah. And that's the other thing. People don't want to bring it up at work because they don't want to be flagged by HR as a non-resilient employee. Yeah. So that's, that is what I think is the, the biggest challenge to global mobility and HR is how can you support your people in a way that they can be completely honest without them being flagged? Because I know what people share in, in one-to-one you know private coaching with me that's confidential is not the same that they would share in a group face-to-face training where their colleagues are present. Right. Because they don't want to be call themselves out. So that I think is, I have some ideas on that. It's a whole nother subject, but that's what I think is going on.
1: Yeah. Well, that makes sense. That's if you're going there in some type of leadership position and on top of it, you're female, you don't want to be seen as weak, but you do, but we do have some very good problem solving skills. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I was like literally shaking, shaking my head left and right when you were saying we don't want to be seen this week. No, it's like you, you want to show your strength. And here's the interesting thing. Um,
1: I did a panel discussion, um, you know, for women's history month, and we had a lot of audience participation and there was, you know, right now we have the largest, Uh, age gap in the workforce. So we have now generation Z coming in and we still have Mm -hmm. people in their sixties in the workforce. So it's almost Mm -hmm. five generations, I think. So somebody Mm -hmm. that's been in business uh, was in the audience. She was, uh, I, I think probably about 30 years she's been in this business said that women should be very professional in the boardroom. They should not show their emotions they should be very businesslike. Well, there was a younger member of the audience that piped up and she said, I'm sorry, I totally disagree with that. I am who I am. I bring my emotions to the table and that's who I am. So it's really interesting. I think that this the millennial group that's coming in Mm -hmm. is not gonna have some of the issues that maybe different generations have Um, I even see it in, um, you know, the the gender differences and, you know, same-sex relationships. They don't think twice about it. They just say, Mm -hmm. oh, there's George or there's Susie. Um, It's Mm -hmm. not as big an issue. And I think that's going to be wonderful to bring that into not only international relocation, but into, you know, everyday work situations, which we already see happening in Silicon Valley, right? With all the new, Mm -hmm. you know, the tech companies. Right.
0: And, but when we take that to a cross-cultural situation, then it gets pretty complex, right? Where, where those boundaries are not as easily crossed. And, um, (laughs) I know that in Burkina Faso, one of the things that I learned is that an expression of emotion was actually not looked upon positively mm. you know that you that you are respected when you can maintain your emotions or right, and contain your emotions so people who so to so that younger woman in the crowd I would encourage her when if she's going on assignment abroad to to think about how is she going to do the navigation of what she naturally wants to do and show up as a leader and how will she marry that with the cultural expectations of the people that she's leading right it's not that easy is it
1: No, it's not, (laughs) and it's a really good point. Um, Mm -hmm. To your point about how important cultural awareness is, and I think it's also our responsibility or those that go on assignment, how how do you honor that culture where you're going to be? Because it is an honor. People love their culture. They are so Mm -hmm. attached to their flag, their country, You want to honor that before you go, how can you, what can you learn about them? How can you um, make everybody feel welcome um, so that they make you feel welcome as well? I think that's really important. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Right. Yeah. It can get tricky. It can get really tricky. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So one of the things I wanted to bring up about, we talked about what can HR do and what can the assignee do when we look at how gender may be seen as a barrier, right? Could mm-hmm. be seen. There could be assumptions that are made that are not true. And one one small tip I could offer is this is really about identity, right? So yes. you know, silly ting to me talks about identity no- negotiation, and we are complex. You're more than your gender, you're more than your national um, passport, you're more than your age, etc. And what I would encourage people who feel like they are um being seen as a woman in a negative way, right? You can negotiate that why you are, how you present yourself. As you said, you know, you might emphasize your professional identity, or you might emphasize your national identity. Find an entry point that people connect with. Yes. right, Something common. So that would, yeah. Exactly. Something where that feels less threatening to them yes. so they can see you professionally. What I do know from the research on fault lines with mixed teams that if in the beginning of a team, it's nice for people to know what your qualifications are and um, what you like, what you're best at, what they can go to you for professionally before they start knowing you personally. So that they see you in that expert role and that professional role. And that might be, again, someone's natural instinct of wanting to get to know people personally, that it's really okay to let the pro- the professional come first mm-hmm. so that they understand where to put you professionally before um, before you get to know like the more intimate details. Again, depends on the cultural context. Yes. So that's really
1: a good point because I spoke to a gentleman who works for a large Uh, Company in the United States, he was talking to one of his employees who uh, works in a different state, and his employee is Muslim, and he was asking Mm -hmm. him. He there was a he said the the employee said I'm taking off these days for a religious holiday, and the manager said, "Well, oh, what what is that? What can you tell me about that?" Well, the employee got super uncomfortable, so you know that would have been a good. a good training for him, the manager <laughs> for cultural nuances mm. and things like that. So it really is a fine line. I think respect goes a long way. If you have mm. any any questions, if you find yourself in an awkward position, respect and understanding of the other person would goes a long mm. way.
0: Right. And this is the tricky part, is we can't understand. Someone else, unless we have a really good grasp on um, their cultural context. We just can't. We can't assume that someone would tick like we tick. I mean, I've had (laughs) too many years abroad and too many surprising situations (laughs) to to allow myself to, to ex, you know expect that a contract is really a contract <laughs> or that you know, people will give notice when they say they'll give notice or whatever. Things that I would see even as unethical could be a normal cultural practice. Um, so it really asks people to up-level um, how they're showing up with their intercultural competencies. Uh, what We just have a few minutes left. Um, we talked about this really smashing through the assumptions that people have that what we know is that from the research, there's no difference between male and female expatriate effectiveness. We've got you know, crappy uh, female e- expatriates, we've got crappy male expatriates, we've got high-performing females, we've got high-performing males, right? So the assumption is their success rate will how should we say it? We need to break the assumption that their success rate might be dependent on gender. We need to break the assumption that they may or not be interested. We've said we need to really ask and put that on the table mm-hmm. instead of deciding for them. What else do you think is important for women who are international assignees to keep in mind or for HR so that we can truly support moving the needle on this, you know, 16, t- 25% to get to more uh, equality? Yeah, so that's um,
1: a good a good question. Um, again, don't assume because they're women, they're not going to be interested in an international assignment. Now, conversely, women, don't forget to raise your hand. Let your manager know. Let um, whatever groups you're working in know that you are interested in an international assignment. Develop those mentor relationships, try to try to find somebody if you can within your company that would mentor you with your goals. And that's another good point. make sure you have a goal. <laughs> make sure you have a goal and what and find out what you can do to work towards that. What kind of support can you get from in your company? That also helps you get to these international positions because the manager often is going to be the one that hears about these openings or knows about the expansion of their company. Um, Mm -hmm. We did talk about for HR to make sure they do select the best person, regardless of gender for that job and um, offer a lot of details on that host location. So people can make informed decisions about that and they can figure Mm -hmm. out what the challenges will be in that that, uh, location. Uh, So they can talk about it and think about it before they actually move.
0: Yeah. And I think especially, you know, when there's issues of security, um, especially gender related violence, for example, I think it's really important for the organization to say, hey, we have some employees working in that region now. Um, Here's here's their name. And why don't you hop on the phone and and ask your questions and see what concerns you have so they can hear from someone on the ground and ask those questions that are on their heart and mind that they might not feel comfortable asking in a more formalized context. Helping people. Yeah. Helping people get on the ground information. I have to say after living, you know, (laughs) when we decided to come to South Africa, my advice is do not (laughs) Google do not Google violence in South Africa. No one would ever come here. <laughs> but it is different when you when you talk to people who live here and you've lived here, you understand it's not as terrifying <laughs> as Googling about it makes it seem. So definitely reach out to locals. Um, there's a lot here. And I mean, this is honestly just the very surface of the conversation. For me, Kathy, I think it's really important that one, we just raise awareness like, hey, why is it only 25% of the international assignees are women? Like as a as a as a corporate entity, we need to really look in that. There's a lot of great research that's being done. Um, and what can we do from a corporate perspective to break down those barriers so that we can have an equally effective workforce so- side by side and really plan for, you know, succession planning so we have the diversity. Because our consumers are going to be female, right? We need, we need male and female representation so that our products are reflected, that the balance is in the team, all of that. I think the other thing is really the empowering side for the, the assignee. What can I do so that I can reduce any uncertainty that I have, mm-hmm. any, um, any self-doubt that might be happening, um, and really look at those positive role models? When I think of my friends who are women who are on lead assignment, they're some of the strongest, most capable, most professional women Mm -hmm. I know. And um, we need to see them to know that it's possible.
1: That's a good point.
0: What, Yeah. So those are the things that I, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you back and talk about it. So thank you so much. Is there anything else that's on your heart and mind that you think either the assignee or the global mobility community needs to consider? Well, I think
1: for the assignee, Focus on your attributes as women. You know, you're we're flexible. We're problem solvers. We generally have great interpersonal skills and we are inclusive. We like to bring people in in a collaborative manner. So play off those skills when you are accepting, when you accept an assignment and you go to those locations. I think that's a real plus. And I think actually your strength is challenged when you accept an assignment. And I think, mm-hmm. I would say, almost all women that I know that've been on on an assignment rise to that occasion. It's a great opportunity mm-hmm. for growth, personal mm-hmm. growth.
0: Yep, yep. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not the right exactly. thing. Exactly. Yep. Great. So again, where can people find you, Kathy, if they're interested in knowing more about what you do and the organization that you're with? You can come check
1: us out at livingabroad.com.
0: Okay, wonderful, Kathy. I'll also put your details in the show notes. Thank you for being here. Again, this is just the tip of the conversation. We hope that you walk away thinking about where you're at. If you are in the global mobility space, ask yourself wait a minute, what is the, what this 25%, what can we do in our organization to break down that barrier? If you're a leader um, it, of an international expatriate group, be very mindful, whether you are believing these assumptions, or if you're checking your assumptions so that you don't leave a qualified participant uh, at the table that could really be out there doing the work. And if you're an assignee, think about what you can do to make your assignment as successful as possible. So, there you have it, folks, touching the surface on female international assignees. I'm going to leave you with the words from Vance and McNulty in their 2014 article in the Journal of International Studies of Management and Organization. They say that the underrepresentation of women in international assignments represents not only a breach of ethics and fairness but also represents an inefficient use of a multinational firm's talent pool in the face of increasing global competition. So if that isn't reason enough to pay attention, I don't know what is. (laughs) Thank you. You've been listening to Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Bean. I'll leave you with two quotes from women that you might know as leaders. Sheryl Sandberg says, If more women are in leadership roles... We'll stop assuming they shouldn't be. And in the words from Margaret Thatcher, don't follow the crowd, let the crowd follow you. Um. <laughs>